Hello. Hiya. Hi. How's it? It's, it's, it's great. Great. What, what episode are we at? 24. And they said we'd never get there. They said, didn't they? They, they said, said we'd said. go directly from 23 to 25. That's and what they, they were all wrong. claimed. They were wrong. Yes. Uh, today's topic, and please email um, podcast at rondoings.com if you have any concerns about this topic, is what with internet, the Facebook, Wiki and YouTubes, has information overload gotten the better of us? Absolutely. I think that that's a worthy topic, and in order to help us not to ruminate on that topic, some woman called Laura... Some woman? Uh, well, I believe she's a woman called Laura. As so far as I'm aware, she is definitely a woman. And she has bought us something in a sheath. It's indeed in a leather sheath. She's bought us something in a leather sheath. Do you like how I'm reclining, like a Roman? Yes, with your it's leather, with your leather sheath. With my bottle. leather sheathed bottle. May, can I smell it to see if it's real leather, please? Please do. Shall I, rem- I remove? Oh, you're bottle. unsheathing the bottle. Oh dear, it's very exciting. It's it's a, it is indeed leather, and the bottle has imprinted upon it. Ron Añejo Pampero Aniversario. Retharva exclusiva. <laughs> Except I shouldn't say that because the S is hecho en Venezuela. Ah, it's it's a communist rum produced yes. produced by the um, evil communist overlord in Venezuela. That's so, true. Excellent. Shall we try it? It's, I think we should. Shall I open it against uh, the? Yes. Let's hear the crack as it open. Oh my! Right, oh my goodness! It's not. It's. <laughs> oh no! I don't know how to open it. Oh, I see. It's it's sealed. Yes. I'm gonna have to fight the seal for a bit. Uh, someone re- uh, club, some- club the seal. Yes. Someone emailed us recently, yes. complimenting us on not leaving gaps and silences when we fill. Yes. So I thought it would be a bad time to start. It would be. Here we go. Right, let's try again. Oh, oh, it's a Ooh. cork. Unusual for runs like this. Oh, oh, there was no pop. Just but squeak. there was a, a tiny squeak of protest. Ooh. Let me smell your cork. <laughs> okay. Hmm. It smells nice. Let's hope it doesn't taste like the. Tesco value for high oh, rum, rum because that really was deep okay, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's going to glug either they the, 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 the bottle is very shaped oh. a little bit thank you there you go it's very exciting oh. for me to do the, the pouring either you didn't clean the glass properly or it's had an interesting smell crikey and I did clean the glass properly right oh that's a good creak Yes, I'm going to cork this because otherwise I'm, it's going to go all okay. the way over the floor. Let's let's taste the uh, the what's it called again? Oh gosh, Andrew Bolivia's kill all the <laughs> uh, upper classes rum. That's what it's called. It's Ron An Anerio Anerio Anya, and that's Anya Anyejo. Pampero Aniversario. Excellent. Right. Well, it's Reserva Exclusiva. Hencho and Venezuela. Hencho. Hecho. Hecho. Really? Yeah, they don't pronounce the first Hecho. It means made. Oh, there's no N in it as Made well. in Venezuela. Let's try it. The, the only English on this entire bottle reads, drink responsibly. Yes. I'm not sure that Venezuela really cares about that, but let's try it. Wow. That's nice. There's like 8 million flavours in there. Oh, they're all very smooth flavours. None of them are yes. shouting or being obnoxious. But you know what? It's not sweet at all, in a weird way. No, it is It nah. is. It, it, it is sweet, but it's not It's not syrupy sweet. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like a very fresh sort of spicy sweetness. I'm getting a lot of um, kind of, oh, I'm trying to think what it is, uh, like a dark treacle. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting about it is it almost... It's so complex, it almost mm. tastes like a kind of a, um, I don't know, I mean, a, a, a Cointreau sort of, a, right. 
It's really it's like good, a sort of, it? uh, It's like a brandy, almost. I feel like I should be sitting at an, uh, by an open log fire mm. in, a, um, in a smoking jacket. Yes. So it's stopping at this while listening to some uh, classical vinyl. Or rum doings. That's <laughs> all rum doings, as the modern Victorian gentleman always would. Well, you know, they had their rum doings, well, no, you know, possibly slightly after the Victorian times. Rum oh, doings okay. was, of course, introduced on 78 RPM. That's true. You, of course, have to keep putting on a new record after five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> because there were only five minutes worth of playtime, so you turn over mm-hmm. to have the next bit of chat. Gosh, it's very good, isn't it? Should we just not bother recording and just drink this yeah. whole afternoon? Right, ladies and gentlemen, goodbye. Actually, <laughs> I, I, I have something that I meant to pick your brain about. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have a flaw in that I think you over-idolise um, stand-up comedy and stand-up comedians, and I think we need to have it out. Okay, let's have it out. Because let's have you, fisticuffs. You, you've, uh, I, I sometimes can watch a stand-up comedian and I can think, okay, they're mildly amusing, or their routine is interesting, or they're telling a funny story. Mm-hmm. But... As a medium itself, I find something annoying about it. There's something about the ego of a man, or sometimes women, but let's be honest, they're usually no good standing up. <laughs> no, I, I think there's a reason for that. I think there's, there's, there is something specific, not about even essential masculinity, but about the trappings of masculinity to do with um, stand-up comedy. It's a right. real ballsy presentation of the ego. That's why people like... Um, Bill Hicks were so entranced by rock music and the masculinity of that as well. Right. Um, I think they, you know, strutting their stuff with the guitar is what a rock musician will do. And instead of using the guitar as a kind of uh, phallus, they're using the microphone and their rapier wit as, a, as saying, look, I'm thrusting my phallus forth. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 that's what I think annoys me about it sometimes, in that... Um, I almost prefer it when there's just a good quality of gaggage. I don't mind people who stand there and read gags, but when people start to turn it into a big ego fest and try and prove how amazingly wonderful their own particular perceptions of the world are... Try to prove. uh, Then I have no time for them. I'm trying to think of good female stand-ups. Yeah. It's not a it's not a female medium. There are some, but um, I think Joe Brand was at a certain point. Wasn't yeah, it? but she did it in she she took on the trappings of ironically she took on the trappings of masculinity to do it. Yeah, that's true. there was a kind of ballsy aggression there. A I don't give a toss attitude. Um, and there are people like Josie Long. Josie Long, I was going to say, I've never seen a stand up, but everything I've seen her do has been really you know, funny. She's all right. She seems very funny to me. So, but uh, generally, I don't think it's a female medium. Certainly not in this culture, anyway. Uh, we'd have to radically redefine the cultural norms of masculinity. I think masculinity Rona, Cam- Rona Cameron early in her career. Well, yeah, but again... Very mas- yeah, very masculine. Yes, of course. Um, and when we hmm. say masculine, we don't literally mean that she straps on a penis and rearranges her chromosomes. We're talking about the cultural manifestations, yeah, right, yeah. the garbs of masculinity, yeah. which people can wear or throw off at will. And it seems that if you want to do well in stand-up, you have to be prepared to put on the garb of masculinity. Uh, mm. you know, just think about dealing with a heckler. It's I think that's the thing. A is... trial by fire, uh, and you know, it, 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 uh, and even the discussion when you listen to old hacky um, stand-ups, they always talk about <coughs> how they made it through the clubs, and it was yeah, a real exactly. trial so, by ordeal, as if they always... were tribal. They were inveiled into the tribal society by having to go mm-hmm. through these ordeals. It does seem to be the case. I mean, if you before Jonglers became a giant chain, doing the the London Jonglers was mm. where you went in order to see if you really had your chops. Mm. Because you would be facing a drunk, angry crowd. Yes, exactly. Um, and then the, the comedy store, I think, was has always been a far easier gig than comedians like to pretend it was, yes. because it was such a, a home friendly crowd. Exactly. But 
but yeah, these you hear these great stories of the back rooms of the comedy clubs and the facing the crowds, and then how uh, comedians still will say now that they all sit in the dressing room when the other acts are on. They don't really care and don't want to watch them. Yeah, yeah. They're all bitter and jealous yeah. until there's rumor or hit that, that someone's dying. Yeah. At which point they'll all, they will all yes, pour out and watch. Yes, which is which, which is fine. Colleague dies on his ass. Yeah, which is which is fine, but I don't necessarily think that it has the legs to propel me to want to watch hundreds of hours of it a year. And thinking about some of the comedians who are popular at the moment, um, shall we name some names? Think of the most popular Do you know, s- stand-up comic comedians. Well, like the most popular right now Michael, is Michael McIntyre. Michael McIntyre. Yeah. Oh, the tube is very packed. And then they are your Mr. Garlic Bread and so Peter forth. Peter Kay, oh my yeah. goodness, yeah. So uh, it's easy to make fun of those, you know, because basically it's have-you-ever-noticed comedy. But they've always... But it's they've, observational yes, have-you-ever-noticed yeah. comedy. I like a good observation... Because a good observation is something that you haven't ever noticed, and you suddenly realise that there are commonalities in our mm. experience which are interesting. I don't even necessarily think it needs to be funny to do that. I don't even necessarily think it necessarily has to be part of a stand-up routine. It would be nice just for people to reveal those things that are common about our experience in a culture. Indeed, that's probably called sociology. <coughs> um, yeah, perhaps. So, you know... I won't attack them for merely saying have I ever noticed, but it's the mm-hmm. kind of lazy, predictable, obviousness yes. of it. And it seems that there is no depth to which you cannot sink in trying to predict the public appetite for this sort of thing. Well, you don't really yeah. have to try hard. No. I don't understand. Now, Michael McIntyre, I've seen some of his act on television mm-hmm. and I've seen, uh, read some of his jokes and so on. I, and I've seen them on the YouTubes. I don't. I genuinely don't understand why him. I think I. I think it's, it has always been so. So yes. when I was growing up, it was Jasper Carrot. Yes. And when I was about ten or eleven, I found Jasper Carrot hilarious because I'd never seen any other stand-up. Mm. And you know, this is. I was ten or eleven in the mid. I was kind of in the mid late eighties, and so at this point, eighteen eighties, yeah, in the eighteen eighties. So at mm. this point, the you know the, the alternative comedy movement, as it was known, was was getting into full swing. Mm. But I was too young to have have, have met it yet. Yes. Um, so Jasper Carrot was the fat, friendly face of stand up comedy on the television, mm. and so for me it was like the discovery of comedy really. And so I thought mm. this was hilarious. This man was saying things in a funny way, and sometimes was slightly rude. Mm. As an adult, I'd rather you know obviously fall on a fork than watch Jasper Carrot, but. Yes. Um, yeah, it's always and Dave Allen in the for the generation before him, and and it, and, and so on. It goes on and on. There's always been one name oh, who uh, obsesses talk, talk, the masses. Talk, talking about names, uh, and particularly Jasper Carrot. Mm, um, you yeah. know his daughter. I like this story. Yes. Yeah, his daughter played um, Dawn in uh, The Office, mm-hmm. and a reporter asked her. Said, "Well, you called Lucy Davis. Why? Why? Uh, but your father's Jasper Carrot. Why did you change your name?" <laughs> And she said, what made you think that uh, th- that uh, Carrot. Carrot was the real name? Yes. It's an excellent <laughs> yeah. point. Anyway, so yeah, so you had all these lovely... And so, and Michael McIntyre is just the latest generation of that, I think, Ed... But how does it happen? I'm curious. How does somebody who it's is easy, quite banal... It's e- well, it's the banality that makes it popular. Surely no, but how does this? it happen? There are so many banal people. How is he, why is he now a millionaire? Well, surely... The, surely is it just, just a potluck? It's a, no. He happened to be at the right place at the right time well, to use I the presume, cliche. I presume that's partly it. He was the one chosen we, out of millions and it didn't really matter. But we know that banality is, is yes, always but, going to be the most popular. But so many people can be banal. Why him? 
Um, well, I guess, yeah. It's the specificity of the banality. You know, it's not like there are hundreds of Michael McIntyres doing doing well on television. It's that, yes. It's that, why... There's only ever room for one, that's certainly true. I, and I think that's probably just happenstance. He, mm-hmm. I think he just happened to have a good agent, he happened to be have the right person in the audience at the right time. He said, well, we it's need also, to do it. com- stand-up comedy is in a, in a place at the moment where observation comedy is considered to be the lowest form. Mm. And so to, for someone to get up and just be brashly observation comedy... Uh, on a, on in a mainstream so, way, may, meant he has no respect amongst the stand-up. No, no. Community. And if community. you listen to people who talk about him, yes, um, or even on well, just like Collins the... and Herring and so on, they they sometimes try not to be rude about him. Well, just watch just watch last year's comedy awards, and you will see the contempt within which he was held by the comu- comedy. Yeah, community. yeah, and obviously some of this is jealousy, but a lot of it is actually mm. you're saying you're doing. A load of rubbish. We can all stand up and say the difference between cats and dogs. Any uh, of us can and, do and, it. And we, and so, we can and stand you, up and say the tube trains are full. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> which he, which he, well, I'm not making that up as a, as a parody. He mm-hmm. actually did. There was a full routine based on the fact that tube trains are quite full and it's difficult to read papers in them. But it, it, the reason... And there, that was that went on for about 15 minutes. The reason this comedy is popular is because, as you say, it's banal. And at the same time, people like to have... Oh, yes, I do that. So rather than what I want from a comedian, which But you see, to, I don't mind it. That's sociological... That, well, that's a kind of tribal bonding thing. Yes, yes. we're all in it together. Fine. I don't so mind that. And that's why he's tapping see, into that. Yeah, but I don't mind that. But in a sense, I would prefer that there were... There were a more quality way of doing that. No, I don't know. We, uh, we, we, let's acknowledge that that's not a bad thing. No, no, no. It's, it's not a bad thing. But, but, it's a done-to-death it, yeah, thing. But in acknowledging it's not a bad thing, maybe we should then acknowledge what about it, if you do it badly, is bad. I that's done badly is bad. That on itself isn't bad. Well, you've got to you've got to accept that Michael McIntyre doesn't do it badly because he's massively successful. No, and he, I, think, I think he does it badly. Well, I think he does it. Sense. I think he does it exactly right in order to win a mainstream crowd. He does it extremely proficiently. It's just he does it in a in a way that for someone who demands a little bit more, offers nothing. What, what's interesting is I, I find him very unfunny. Yeah, I don't mean that the material's unfunny. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you were... He, as a, as a presentational artist, is unfunny. Yeah, I... That's what I mean. And that's what I don't understand. It's like you don't have to be... You don't have to work on your crafting and your styling at all. He doesn't deliver anything in a particularly interesting or innovative mm-hmm. or surprising way. Yeah, there's no twist. There's no, oh my goodness, I never thought he was going there no, with he, this. No, he kind of, he just speaks in his funny voice through the material, mm-hmm. acting slightly, uh, pr- pretends that he's sort of excited about what he's talking about, and that's it. Yes. And for me, that seems very cynical, but for a lot of people, it seems to be completely acceptable. Well, absolutely. It's, it's, well, it's the same. Everything that's the most banal is the most popular. Is so. there an equivalent in America? At the moment, of the the, the banal standard comedians, and well, I think Jerry Seinfeld was that for a while. No, I no, I, would... I don't think Seinfeld was any good. Everybody you, you, else, does. you know, you, you, this is an argument in which you reset. Because do you remember when you came down with with Neil and Martin, and we watched a bunch of Seinfeld, and you conceded that actually it was far better than you'd realised. I'm not so talking I think about. All, the, I think all you've I'm done not is talking reset. about the sitcom. Oh, okay, you're talking about his. Stand-up. I'm talking about Jerry Seinfeld as really a stand-up comedian. I don't really know much of his stand-up to be honest. Which is how he developed in the sure, first sure. place. Sure, sure, because of course Seinfeld was Larry David, not Jerry Seinfeld. Yes, so. of course. Um, but you know. I think in America the most the most popular stand-ups end up with a permanent gig in in Vegas. So you've got your character yes. and you've got um, Rita Rudner. There's a Rita Rudner. She she owns Vegas. You talk about a lady. That, now that's interesting. Yeah. She, she's not a she. Do, I, from what I can tell, she doesn't use the masculine um, garbs at all. 
And in a sense, I suppose because she's unusual. Yeah, true, she doesn't. I think I think because that's why she's managed to take over because she's basically she she she's an entity unto herself. There, mm-hmm. I'm sure she's desperately unfunny. I remember finding her funny again when I was a, when I was a child. I imagine she probably isn't. Mm. I don't. I haven't seen any of her. I mean, she, for a long you, time. you'd be astonished how big she is in Vegas. We've seen you know, there, are, like, there are eight-story posters of her. I would say Dane Cook would be another example of a. He's a stadium comic in America mm. that's hated by all other comedians, right? Um, but he, he acts like a, a jerk and a, mm. and a rock star as well, and kind of plays. Would you say that stand-up in this country is different stand-up? Yes, yeah, very much so. Although American stand-up right now, I think, is in a better state than ours, uh, but you have to go small scale. Mm. So I think the best stand-ups working at the moment are Zach Galifianakis and Eugene Merman, and I've they're both. Divided with them. They're, well, they're both stunning American stand-ups. Zach Galifianakis was in The Hangover, the film, quite recently. Mm. He hosted I've SNL. Oh yes, my brother. I mean, it's one of the worst films he's ever seen. It's interesting. I keep, everyone I know who's seen it has either said it's really funny or it's really, really unfunny. And it's, but it's an interesting mix of people who've told me this. This one's very nice. It is really good, yeah. isn't it? Um, and then Eugene Merman is, is a Russian-born American stand-up who is just fantastically funny. He reads out letters he's written and, and, just, and has very strange uh, interplay with his crowd. He's a really interesting and funny man. Mm. But again, he's, uh, he's, he, he's not going, oh, you know, isn't it annoying when three buses turn up at once? Right. He's saying... You know, he's saying, "Here's the letter I wrote to the airport, to the the airline that lost, lost my luggage, and this is the consequences." And just read out these fantastically funny things. That you he's, see, I he's prefer. Done. You see, I when I think I, I prefer stand-ups that are effectively one-man plays. Right. Okay. You know, that's um, more Richard Herring style. The Richard Herring style sort of thing. I, I I quite like that. I mean, I think the problem with Richard Herring is his delivery. I think his actual content's quite mm-hmm. good. I think he's just the the way he kind of he he seems to be quite nervous actually. The ander, uh, the ander thing. Ander, the ander, ander, and the sort ander. of laughing at his own jokes and skipping mm-hmm. over things. And in a sense, it's almost like if he, if he wrote the material and then got somebody good to deliver it, that would be the best of all. I, it was interesting that he was complaining recently that they had a very heckly crowd, had a bunch of, he mm. thinks it was a stag do. I noticed some, uh, some comedian linked recently on Twitter to a web, uh, to a, a uh, c- comedy club that has a sign up outside saying no stag or hen parties mm. on Fridays and Saturdays. Well, that so seems a very great silly. rule. Well, a great rule, but I wonder whether it's good for business. <laughs> I don't know, but they, clearly it was just not mm. worth it having them in in a gig. But he said that he was complaining that there was a very kind of a heckly crowd, and he's saying it's just not appropriate for my material because I'm, you know, I'm working off a script. I haven't. Mm. And it's like, I thought it was very interesting that he's not malleable enough to no, deviate from his well, script no, but or have he, a different gig for one night. He's, he's not a. He's, he's not putting a, on a show. He's not a comedian, actually. He thinks he he's, is. I don't think he is a comedian. I think you're I think right. I think he's a performer. I think he's a performer. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit like um, who else does these sorts of things? What's his name? The, ironically, I can't remember it for a moment because uh, he made his fame by trying to get lots of people to. Think of it. I am. Oh, Dave Gorman. Dave Gorman. It's weird. I can never remember his name. <laughs> it's almost like I've been cursed because it's such a silly name, such a common name, and he based mm-hmm. his whole career on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Gorman does the same sort of thing. He takes you through a, a yeah. journey which he pretends that he's extemporising, but is in fact it, a, it's a, a pl- it's a play that's being put on yeah. for you. Yeah, which is it's a one man show, which is fine. But it, yeah, it, it it is a shame that you know when some comics will their their great desire is to get up and do none of their material and have a brilliant night mm. whereas Richard Herring would be absolutely before yeah. that no he would so, yeah. he can't he can't really cope when you look him. at someone like Phil Kay um, who's a comic who will go up and has material prepared, but very rarely does any of it mm. and he just you know he's a, he's the kind of co- co- comedian who will get the entire audience to leave a venue while someone goes to the toilet mm. for instance and that kind of thing he'll take it he'll take the gig anywhere he fancies taking it it's very funny yeah i think people who can riff well are good mm-hmm. and people who can perform effectively a one-man yeah. play are good mm-hmm. i suppose there are a lot of sort of medio mediocrities in the middle of those two extremes which can 
taint the whole genre. Do you know? I, I think it's Edinburgh that's to blame for lots of comedians ending up doing shows because right. they have an hour. You have an hour for your Edinburgh show unless yes. you're massive. Mm. You get one hour, and you have to fit your show into that hour. Or you get fined for overrunning because you go into the next comedian slot. And so you have a an hour of material that you refine and refine you from mm. probably about January until Ed, until Edinburgh in the summer, and then you explain tour- to our American friends what Edinburgh well, is. Well, the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. So it's, it's a not co- just a festival; it's the whole festival. No, no, it's no. A this, well, there festival. is a massive. But I'm talking specifically about mm. the Comedy Festival. Um, I, I'm, beca- I'm I'm disapproving of it more and more every year. It's become such a heavy, predictable cultural entity, a bit like Glastonbury. Right. It, in a sense, it doesn't have the um, joie de vivre and the innocence that it, that it would have had once. Oh, let's all get together and do comedy. Now it's just, oh, God, the, the next Edinburgh juggernaut's coming along. And it, it just seems to be a bit stultifying. In a sense, if I were looking for comedy or interesting things now, I would look in some godforsaken place which is trying to do a little comedy yeah, festival sure. where, pe- where, for example, it's cheap. Apparently, it's really expensive. Oh, yeah to do a performance in Edinburgh and you will usually lose money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard Herring was saying that even when he filled up all his gigs, mm-hmm. he still either broke even or lost money on it. But I think he makes the money by touring the hour when he makes it. To, yes. He then fleshes out to yeah, two hours. Exactly. He uses, he uses Edinburgh as a lab. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically. Which is fine. Yeah. But uh, that's why, I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I find the whole notion of the Edinburgh Festival a little bit... I've never annoying. been. I, I'm uh, kind of tempted to go and just to see a whole bunch of different shows, but... Mm-hmm. It'll probably yeah. get tiresome. Maybe. Uh, so, I'd, I still feel that um, stand-up comedy as a well, genre, in between those two entities yeah. that I've described, is a bit more involved. Well, I wanted to raise, raise Eddie Izzard, because you've, you've I don't never like liked it. him. No, I, I've tried. I have mm-hmm. tried, and I've tried listening recently I do to... remember showing you Glorious, and you're laughing at... No, are, no I'm not saying that there is nothing yeah. about him that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's uh, funny. I'm saying that generally I find him a little awkward, actually, um, when he's doing his material. And I also find all his, um, oh, the jam, fish, oh, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. I don't find it endearing. Mm-hmm. I think if you're that good, you shouldn't have to do that. Well, it, what was interesting about Izzard was it was it was during the 90s and it was it was the late 90s when he really broke through. Um, and I remember I was interviewing comedians, the comedy editor for my university and student newspaper, and I would interview all the comedians who came through. And when we talked about, you know, who's the best example of this on the circuit at the moment, they would always say, well, apart from Eddie Izzard, of course. Duh, duh, duh. Mm. And it was, an in- it was interesting where he was not held in contempt like Michael McIntyre. No. He was respected, but no, it was like it was like playing a golf tournament with. Yes, Tiger. but he did it obviously a, quirky things. No, 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 listen, fish, listen, listen. Jam, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. Rude, look was, how I wear no, he, but he it didn't. Was. He didn't do that. It, it was like it, it was like playing a golf tournament with Tiger Woods. You were competing for second place when he was when he was at his peak. Now it is our stand up is absolutely abysmal. I, I saw um, years ago now I saw Sexy Live and it was horrible. We mm. just sat there stony faced all the way through. Apart, uh, but uh, then I saw Definite Article when I was 21 live and that was the funniest gig I've ever been to. And, and no, he certainly didn't go ooh fish bread and, and, and jam through that. He was talking about um, he at that point he was picking on various historical events and then just going through them. And, uh, and so he had a lot of material on the Romans, a lot of material and stuff. People, so he was picking he was picking subjects that most comics weren't going anywhere near, and then doing very traditional observation comedy based around them in a very strange way. Mm-hmm. And so it was just which was really clever. Um, and he did do Cats and Dogs and Supermarkets, and that was what was so interesting, and that's why other comedians were kind of confused by him, because he was doing the most trite material. But then, you know, everyone remembers his Cats purring uh, mm. material. I and everyone, Well, if they've seen it, mm. um, they remember it. And then uh, going shopping, the Hennets and dog food, and all this kind of stuff. It, and, and being on aeroplanes, Cake and Death, and all these materials. So he had really novel and interesting angles on very, very trite uh, subject matters. 
which was, I think was what made him great, and he was brilliantly funny. And a definite article, he did a joke in which we laughed a great deal, and then he, he ran the joke and ran the joke, and actually got to the point where we couldn't breathe, and then he said, if I keep doing this, you're all going to suffocate. And yeah. he, he was so confident in his material that he could control the breathing of his crowd. That's fairly, fairly impressive, and I don't think Michael McIntyre is, is doing well, that. Well, do you know, you know who's in that venerated, perhaps overly venerated state today? Let's see if you can name him. What, in the, in the Eddie, Eddie Izzard position? Yes, almost in that position, but not quite as popular. But still, amongst comedians, they, he's treated with that sort of over-respect. Oh, right, amongst comedians. <laughs> I, I would suggest Stuart Lee at the moment is in that position. But do you not think he's, he, does, he merits it? To a degree, but that degree isn't as wide as people suggest. I think he's, he's good. I think he's very good. I think he's extremely good. But I also good. think, but I don't know, but I also think he fails in some of the things he tries as well. well that's acceptable, isn't it? That's yeah, but I, but yeah, but I, but I don't, I don't think he's. Well, yeah, I suppose he's exceptional, but I think that's a bit sad that he's exceptional. Well, true. I mean, but he's so phenomenally clever. That's the thing you get. So, did you see his most recent tour? No, he did. But the, I um, saw Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle. Yes, which I thought was a, a on television. Mixed, if Wyatt had the sketch, it's been picked up for a second series, which mm. is astonishing since it was yes, so Richard hated Herring's, by the BBC. Richard Herring's not overly happy about that. But, <laughs> but it was. The, um, I think he actually is. Actually. I think he's genuinely mm. happy about that. But the um, the sketches were, were a terrible idea and had no place in the show. Mm. And just having Paul Partner and Kevin Eldon and the usual gang just doing mm. some really lame sketches that reiterated the thing he just said although, as stand up. Although not Richard Herring, of course. Well, no, not Richard. Richard Herring wasn't even invited for a little cameo. I thought that was a bit nasty. <laughs> I did feel a bit sorry for him. Just just to come in and say yeah. hello, or even to play on the riff on it, mm-hmm. nothing. It's like, I, I think Stuart Lee is probably quite a nasty gentleman in real life. I don't think he is. I think he's I'm a, not suggesting that he enjoys cream man. cakes, but I'm saying he's a nasty man. I don't think he is. He I really is. don't think Pitch he is. So. Let's get rid of him. <laughs> I don't think he is. I, I really don't. I don't get that impression at all. Uh, um, I'd love to know what the friendship is between them. It, it, um, an odd one, yeah, for a, sure. an odd one, a peculiar yeah. one. But yeah, I, I, I suppose I would like to like Stuart Lee more than I do. I, I think sometimes my problem is is in with his, is is with his delivery again. Really, wow. I think he's kind of he's got this slight faux estuary laziness about the way he speaks sometimes, and that you know that that's not actually the way that he spoken it, it, it and it one day came upon him. He doesn't have any faux history Yes he does. He listen listen very carefully next time he speaks. Yeah. There's a kind of a, a sort of a laziness sometimes. It sort of goes like this a bit. You listen Yeah he does he does do that. I don't think it's his voice. No isn't it? it isn't. I think I think he put on that voice uh, after he left Oxbridge University mm-hmm. and decided it was more useful That's to speak the like that. Then he spoke like I imagine when he was very young he probably spoke like that. That's and the, decided that he didn't really want to anymore. Oxbridge. You know, the Nigel the Nigel Kennedy style of yeah. of, of modulation. Oxbridge is the university that Batgirl went to, I remember. Yes. So no, I mean uh, uh, plus I do think that there's he so he's very sardonic when he delivers his lines, but sometimes I'd like to hear a change in tone. I like him just not to deliver it in the... He delivers things... You'd have to admit that his delivery is predictable. You know what you're going to hear. And no, it's, you, it's you not do. true. I'm not saying the jokes are predictable or the material is predictable, but mm. the delivery is predictable. You know how he's going to be doing it. There's a kind of world wariness about it. Like, yeah. oh, I've been here before. I know all this stuff. I have the weight of this on my shoulders. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. fine. That's his but, style. Yes, you want him to do. get up and, and in a clown suit the next gig, yes. and then the one after that. Actually, actually, yes. Just sing the whole way through. Yes, that's what you want. Oh, yes. Fair enough. I do want that. I, th- yeah. I think that would be surprising. It's a bit like Jack D. Oh yeah, Jack. We get the I'm a depressed man act, but you know, 
Yeah. It doesn't... In a sense, if you occasionally just have a big manic smile in the middle of it, that makes that more effective. And in a sense, I think Lee needs to pepper it up with a bit more of that sort of thing as well. And maybe he should do a song and dance act in the middle of it. Why not? Well, at the end of it, he's... I've not actually seen his latest one. Exactly. The latest gig he does sing at the end, so there you go. It sounds lazy to me in that he attacks... um, No, you see, this Top Gear thing is brilliantly misunderstood. And it can only... You can either have just... Because that is a a lazy trope. Oh, Top Gear. Oh, isn't Top Gear bad? Oh, we hate... This is the very central point of what he's doing. Exactly. And this is the... This is the thing, and so people... Top Gear is a motoring program on the BBC <laughs> with three very, um, how shall we say, middle of the road right wing gentlemen presenting it. They tried to pilot Top Gear in America with Adam Carolla as one of the hosts, but yeah. never got past pilot. Yeah. Anyway, um, he, this is the point, and this is what, if you've heard about it, then it doesn't make sense. If you've seen the gig, then you will begin to understand the Top Gear thing in context. I mean, it's, don't give, don't give it away. Very, no, I'm not going yeah. to, but it's very clever material. Which and it is a lot, obviously a lot of people miss it then. Very easy. It, people, well, yes, I don't understand, quite understand how people can miss it because he does actually explain Do it. Do you know what happened? But Yes. Um, uh, tell me if this was the right reaction. Adam Huffman used yeah. to watch... Um, He's Top our biggest... Gear. Adam yeah. Huffman is our biggest fan. He, he loves us. And he used to watch... Top Gear. He used to enjoy, oh, yes. quite enjoy watching it. He wouldn't I didn't know he was a right-wing reactionary. He, he wouldn't know, but he wouldn't admit it, Adam right. Huffman. Um, but <laughs> after he went to see the Stuart Lee, yes. he said from then on he took a vow never to watch Top Gear again. Interesting. Is that the appropriate reaction? Because if, if, so. if that was his reaction, I'm almost... I'm almost disappointed because I think then it is just oh isn't Top Gear bad? Oh no 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 that's not what he's doing at all. What he's doing, what what Stuart Lee does in this particular bit of material is talk about why he, un- as Stuart Lee, understands what's wrong with Top Gear, but you, as an audience, you don't get it. Right. You don't see why what's wrong with it. Right. Uh, you're too stupid and you're too much of that ilk, and you think that way. And that's what he does. It's an amazing bit of material. He condemns the crowd for being right-wing and Top Gear fans, and he gives no room or passage for them to not be anything otherwise. But he is, and he gets to see it. And it becomes amazingly alienating. It's a really clever piece of material. So it's interesting that Adam's reaction to it was to desperately want to cause, want to join the irony of what he was doing. Rather, I was sitting there feeling smug, not being hating Top Gear and not being able to watch an episode of it, so I got to feel a little smug about it. I know Judy and Victoria watch a lot of Top Gear. Oh, I can't... I, see, my, my mom... It. It's good. My mum's always been a top gear. It's good. Fan. It's good television. It's 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 again. It's a good performance. This is what the performance. This uh, yeah. This this summarizes for me. The performance is more important than the material. And I'll give you an example. of This I go to technical yeah. conferences. Uh-huh. And you know I could be very interested in a piece of technology or something very interesting is being launched. And I will go to the talk about that. Mm-hmm. But the person who's talking is a German gentleman who's standing in front of me. And if we have a look at this, I'll just move <laughs> on to the next slide. And here's the configuration file for this particular technology. Mm-hmm. And then he'll read through the whole configuration file. And yet I'll turn up by mistake to something of which I have absolutely no interest. Yep. And yet, I, because the, the speaker is so good, I will be glad that I turned up to that. Yep. And I will be utterly fascinated with the way he talks about things mm-hmm. I think with, no, that's, that, that's similarly with things the thing is Top Gear presents its japes very well entertainingly. it's well filmed and the presenters in the characters they play are perfectly personable you see uh, because everyone is so po- I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Top Gear since it was um, Quentin Cooper Quentin Tarantino Quentin Tarantino yeah. um, Steve Man, Jobs. Steve, Steve, Steve Jobs, Jobs. <laughs> Tarantino, and, Steve Jobs, and Jeremy Clarkson, and Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy Paxman, yeah. Um, and it was these people, and you know, I love Quentin Cooper. He was, is that his name, Quentin Cooper? 
Quentin who, something. Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino, who used to go at the end of... He, would, I mean, he did a show on BBC Two called All the Right Moves, a moving house programme before they were very popular. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he went... He used to end each episode by going, That's it for All the Right Moves! Bye-bye! Uh, like so he, the most he aggre- he was still on most aggressive yet, sign-off I've ever seen of anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, and you'd have this... And, and the, the Steve, Be- Steve Berry, I think that was his name, on... Um, on Top Gear, he would do. My mum would always. I would watch this with my mum, and he would get to a bit about. He would be on. Maybe it would be about bikes, and my mum would get cross because she only cared about cars. <laughs> and he he began this one section. He went, do you like bikes? No. Well, tough. Because the next twenty minutes is all about them. My mum was great. He was like speaking directly to my mum. Yeah. So that was great, and that was all really fun. Uh, but it was quite. Yeah, I wasn't that into it. But then it changed dramatically into this new studio show, and I'd never seen an episode of it. So I thought I'll download an episode and watch. And so many people yeah. speak highly of it. I couldn't get halfway through. It was nasty. It was a weird nasty program of just the three hosts this fake japery between them this oh in my script it says to tease you and it was just so lame and awful I hated it oh you don't understand the structure of these things I just that's my problem yeah I, th- I thought that you were overwhelmingly also, masculine John well, and that's my problem I mean, I'm so overwhelmingly you to, masculine you used to not be but I thought you are now I am yeah. so overwhelmingly yeah. masculine yeah. the the no, the other problem I had with the top with the Top Gear format was when they did their filmed sections where the three of them would be competing in a race or something yeah. and they were all scripted and it was like what's actually happening then is this entire thing a scripted event or is it actually a race and halfway between the two very there are script, very there strange. are there are scripted japes within it but the actual race is real enough and that they are competitive and yet Jeremy Clarkson of course is very good on QI he's not a stupid man I think he's people not. are wrong to suggest that he's a buffoon he's not he's no, just he's, not. Uh, he's just he's right-wing. just a very unpleasant human being well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't. I, no, I don't think you can say that. I've not. I've not. His met opinions him. are unpleasant. Then let's put it that way. His his column in the Times is particularly unpleasant. Not, or the I've, Sun, I've, or whatever I've, it is he yeah, writes. Both, but they're very different. I wonder right. whether he writes either. Yeah, that's true. Actually, it's really interesting know. to find out. Uh, I I would imagine he doesn't. It's amazing when you find out quite how few columnists actually write their own columns. I would be very surprised if Jeremy Clarkson wrote his columns. Yeah, I would be too, to be honest. You know, yeah, think about true. think about just the Top Gear schedule and all the other things he has to do. Is he going to sit down every week and say, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to write an article for the Sunday I'm time. writing an article, and I like it. Exactly, he's not yes. going to do that. No, he's not. Although what was, what was quite interesting, uh, he sometimes can surprise you in that um, he was interviewed once and he said... This guy from the uh, UK Independence Party came up to me and said, "Can you be our spokesman? Do you want to join? Because obviously, you we see mm-hmm. you make fun of, 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 of you know, of, of the Bosch and of the yeah. spicks and all." They said, um, he "said No, you, you don't understand me. The reason I feel so comfortable about talking about." the Europeans like that as I feel that in a sense their family. You can be rude about your family. Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, and if 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 it, it would be if I were being strangely polite about them, then that I might be interested. But it's, <laughs> uh, you you kind of don't get where I come from. So I'm I'm sure part of he part of him is an act, part of him is a parody, and part of him is slightly misunderstood. Uh, if he's genuinely an unpleasant individual, I'm not sure. I don't sure. know. Um, I we guess should talk a bit about UKIP. We'll have to ask his wife. UKIP. Um, yes. U, U, UKIP. Um, yes. People who. What, 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 
lot to say about UKIP except to say that well, I just if you vote if you vote for UKIP, you're really not much better than anybody who votes for BNP. You really no, you don't don't think you are. You 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 probably think that you're respectable, but you're not. It is scum. You are scum. It's scum. It is scum. And I think it's unpleasant, deeply rubbishy scum. Well, it's three weeks till a general election, so it's probably a good idea to just to kind of. I don't think people. I think people. You know, UKIP are not exactly subtle. If you go to their website, their grotesque racist opinions are very clear. Bring back the death penalty. Bring back hanging. Bring back hanging. They, the, the immigration problem they want to stop immigration they want to stop immigration well that's a BNP or, policy yeah exactly they're not, they're not subtle and having their pound logo in their side I found I find UKIP more threatening than the BNP because I don't I think the BNP are such buffoons yeah they're, they're almost think, the monster yeah, moving exactly I don't I, I think the BNP as, if the BNP ever became more popular that would that would almost immediately um, be counterproductive for them because yes. they can't actually deal with that and, and, and then their true colours show through and then people are scared of them mm-hmm. UKIP on the other hand it seems that you can be respectable they're like the Tory party for people who just think the Tories have become a little bit too liberal a little bit wet they're a drier Tory party exactly but which of course they they technically I suppose they are bearing in mind how far right the inners of the Tory party actually are Lucky Martin's not here this week the shiny face of of Mr Cameron at the front doesn't quite reflect the true opinions of the Conservatives you know Mr Grayling um, you you heard he was secretly recorded saying actually he he thinks that um, he thinks that, who of course is in the shadow cabinet, he thinks that people who run BNB should be able to discriminate against gays. Oh, that's good, isn't yeah, it? Um, but that's his only opinion, it's only his opinion. I wonder, yeah, and you get away with well, saying they, that. Imagine they might gay up the room, so when the next couple yeah. stay in it, they're going to get all gay. But, but, yeah, but that's his opinion. He says, yeah, but you need to respect people's opinions in their own home. Well, really, so if the same BNP says, look, we really don't want blacks in here. No, none of the foreigns. Uh, no blacks. Yeah, would, no. Would, he, would he defend their, their heartfelt opinions? I, I, I like to think he probably would. Yeah. And I mean, if he says it's religious, well, then I should hope that, for example, if they're religious Catholics, they don't allow any any couples in there and any indeed frotting yes and indeed if they're married make sure that if they do have sex it has to be procreative pro- pro- yeah, so you absolutely. know and if and a it, pregnancy test and what if they, but, ah, but even if there is a signal a single person what if he's a businessman who's a bit frustrated that night and would like to relieve himself nope. on his own you absolutely. see so you know in fact they really shouldn't allow anybody to I don't think they should well, maybe they shouldn't be running a B&B if they basically <laughs> don't want to take most people into, <laughs> their, into their rooms that might be the problem yeah. So, they, so you've got this UKIP party who are—they are—they they really do just seem to be a kind of a rebranded BNP. From just reading through their policies, they're quite disturbing. Yeah. Um, and don't be fooled; they're not the anti-European party. Oh, I'm—I've got a problem with Europe because my friends' health and safety problems at their work are really frustrating. All the bananas. bananas, all the exactly. bureaucrats from Brussels. But so people do experience negative experiences of Brussels. They work in their job place. There is some ludicrous legislation they have to go by that is hindering them, and it is a European legislation. And therefore, they throw uh, eight trillion babies out with that bucket of bathwater. <laughs> mm. um, it, it's crazy. And so you could come along and say, "Look, we'll protect you from the crazy bureaucrats in Brussels." You go, oh, well, the bureaucrats in Brussels really piss me off when I go to work. Oliver, no, that's not. Do you know what? Do you know what I find really they funny? They want to ban immigration. They yeah. want to then. Oh. Do you know what I find really funny about UKIP? And is they sort of say, if only we didn't have those bureaucrats in Brussels, we could only, if only Parliament could run its own its own destiny, then it'd be wonderful. And look at Parliament. I mean, the British Parliament is a. A pile of rubbish at the moment, to put it no less politely than that. <laughs> and so to think that Parliament should be given more sovereignty and more power, um, no thank you. Um, you know, the fact that there's a Human Rights Act 
constantly annoying them is good. <laughs> I you know. know. Do you think the digital digital economy bill could have got through if it had been gone through Europe? It has got through now. Well, no, it's gone through very. No, yes. Do you think it could have if it had to go through Europe first? It, I'm sure if they lobby, if if Jack's men lobbied and bribed the right number of people, they can get yeah, through anyway. Maybe. Jack is all powerful. My my solution to the digital economy bill being passed is just to pretend that didn't happen. Yeah. It's too abhorrent. Yeah. a thing for me to contemplate yeah. so I'm just pretending that hasn't happened yeah. explain to people what the digital economy bill is I imagine there are people who, who don't even know well it's the it, the similar bills are being pushed through in America in fact, this was all a, over the world this was yeah. a mimic of an American bill yeah. it's already gone through in France and various yeah. other countries um, where, which gives private non-elected well private businesses corporations the right to control uh, to, to demand that ISPs cut the internet from paying users yeah. without any need for a court case and uh, yeah and 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 it went, it went further initially to say that basically that person would, would shouldn't be allowed to use the internet that's right ever so you, again i mean i think that's been watered down i think it's a, i think you get banned for a year or something you get three it's three strikes and you're out yeah. so you get three you get sent two letters and if you get sent the third letter then you're cut off well that's fair but, enough i mean i i think that um for example um penguin books should allow me should allow be allowed to tell me that I'm not allowed to read for a year. That's right, absolutely. Uh, or or I, I, I should be told I'm not allowed to use the post. That's right, not, you're not, you can't check your email anymore, I'm afraid. Can't use the post. Can't not allowed your, to read. Can't do your job now. <laughs> not allowed to read. No telephones. No more writing for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, an, it's astonishing. Where other countries... You were caught, caught scrolling on a toilet roll. <laughs> That's no more writing no for more the rest writing. of your life. <laughs> it's, it, other countries it's so like, mad. Other countries are recognising um, the internet as a basic human right. Hmm. And in our country, we're allowing corporations with no legal process and no government ele- and no, and no elected body to control who is and isn't allowed to access the internet. Good. Uh, uh, and that just went through Parliament. That was fine. That went, yeah, but, but also day before, day before it went to wash. Yeah, for about two hours they had a chat and then went through. Now, when I hear that sort of thing, I think, well, screw yeah, you, Parliament. Absolutely. Screw, that. screw the lot of you, really. Yeah. Stop pretending that you're any good at anything because you're not. You're rubbish. You're all a pile of nonsense. We'll talk in the next podcast about the British Constitution and that sort of thing because somebody asked us to. That's true. Um, so we'll talk about the next week. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, all, all I would say is that I think your silly rock paper shotgun told everybody to vote Liberal Democrats for oh, some no, reason. No, Jim, because they because Jim suggested that they're the only uh, only party worth, left worth voting for. Really, the ones who supported the digital economy bill. They didn't support yes, the they digital did. economy bill. Yes, they did. They voted against it. They supported. They it. voted against it. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. I think you need to examine. No, go that. and look at the numbers. The I Liberal Democrats voted against it. I think you, I think you need to be very it. careful when you say this. Martin Coxall, who was on our podcast last week, got very angry about yes, this. Yes, he did get very. angry. He said he said you you said that your your blog he broke got the very, law. He, he, was, got, he was going to report you to the police. He got very angry. Because the representation he got of the People very, Act says that we have to give equal time to all parties. He got very angry because we didn't support the Conservatives. Yeah. That's why he got angry. Um, n- nothing to do with anything else. Why didn't the, you? <laughs> what a, I don't know. What a strange choice. Yeah. Um, no, the Liberal Democrats voted against the, the bill. Now, there may have been Liberal Democrats and there were Liberal Democrat lords who were in favour of Very it. stupid ones. Very stupid ones. However, they did vote against it. So in democracy, they did the right thing. The other two parties did not. And so I don't think there's much ambiguity left. And so I would suggest people vote Liberal Democrats as well. I wouldn't. I'm, just, I'm glad, glad you wouldn't. I don't, like, I don't like the racists in the Liberal Democrats. I don't like the... I don't like the problem with Jenny these... Jenny Tong, etc. My problem with these organisations is they're made up of people, and people are generally capable of being dressed. Well, you know, in the, you know George Washington initially didn't want there to be any parties in America. Right. He said that parties are massively problematic, and he wanted them to be none. Now, interesting, mm-hmm. could we imagine a politics these days without party? It's a, yeah. it's, it's a difficult thing to imagine how it would work bureaucratically, but it's an interesting mm-hmm. thing to think about. Also, would it be more or less corruptible? 
difficult yes. to tell. But to so tell. it's so it'll be so given five minutes. So yeah. given that you have um, uh, th- basically three choices for, to, to, for for who to vote for, for whom to for vote, who, to, to whom for to vote. Yeah. Um, you it has to be laid down, Not doesn't three. it? No. Well, there's no. Uh, who no. else? You to, who else? Well, Liberal Democrats are rubbish. And they won't get in, so don't bother. Well, they're not going to get. They're not going to win the election. But, but my my Liberal Democrat MP is going to win. Don Foster, the Bath MP, Liberal voted, Democrats ag- are who voted against who voted against uh, digital economy bill and voted for liberal reform, and is an amazing guy. Well, really if you want to, you, you can. If you're treating it, I'm voting for a local MP, then you can do that. Mm-hmm. But that's a, the, my big problem: is that members of Parliament both have to deal with the block drains in their constituency and whether the country should go to war. Yes. I think there should be two lots of people. That does make more sense. It is a bit stupid. But I think, I say, check the voting record of the MPs in your area. Find out who voted for the digital economy bill to be passed and find out who didn't vote against libel mm. reform. And that's, those are fantastic judges of character. Yes. I mean, any, I can't imagine anyone listening to this is in favour, is, was against the idea of libel reform. Unless, you know, the, the managing <laughs> director of GlaxoSmithKline Welcome is a big fan of rum doings. Or, 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 or indeed, um, as as we found out last week, um, our favourite legal firm. <laughs> so unless they, you know, Carter Ruck, unless they're big who fans, bugger children, <laughs> which they of course don't. Well, they do. No, they don't. They do, but they, they do it nicely. Don't, in, and they've got very plush offices. Absolutely, hundred percent don't. Yeah. Let's not this two weeks in a row because that is just tempting fate. Yes, fate, fate is very, fate, fate is very tempting. That's everything Nick says is a lie. A hundred percent of every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie. Carter Rock are good to children. There you go. There That's you go. Well, they're probably not good to children, are they? They sue the families and destroy people's lives merrily. All right, now that's what they're going to sue. Right? They don't care how you call about <laughs> child molesters, but you know, destroying people's lives. No. Anyway, yes, um, they're a lovely bunch, and I'm sure that individually they're just delightful. Well, apparently they were. They had a sponsored table at Index on Censorships too. Oh, did they? Yes, oh, that's <laughs> that nice. were, you know the magazine Index on Censorship, which has done two stupid things: a, they got Carter Rock basically to sponsor their do, and b, they refused to publish the um, the uh, Muhammad cartoons. Oh, really? Because I said, oh, "No, we're too scared." The Index on Censorship. That's In good. fact, it was worse than that. Their board, including Dimbleby. Um, prevented the editor from doing it. He stepped in and said, you're not allowed to. Gosh. So how's that for irony? Good old WikiLeaks. Then get us a WikiLeaks, eh? Yeah, WikiLeaks is very Go cool. and give them your money, everyone. Go and give WikiLeaks some money. Give them all your money. All your money, 100% and, and then, of your and, money. And then WikiLeaks leaks will show that they used all that money to buy prostitutes and cocaine. <laughs> That's right. And then WikiLeaks leaks leaks will show that <laughs> WikiLeaks leaks it, and then we're going to an infinite circle until we get back to the Conservative Party. Yes. As long as you don't vote for them, you'll be all right. Or UKIP. Or UKIP. Please don't vote for UKIP. Yeah. They are bad people. In my, UKIP, opi- in yeah. my opinion. In my their opinion. Their policies as, are yes. bad. Yeah. I'm I sure think... they're lovely individuals, but their yeah. policies are grotesque. We'll, we'll, t- we'll talk a bit more about the parties next time, I think. Uh, what, what do you think? Is, that... is there a law regarding whether we can promote one party or another on a, on a podcast? Um, are, are we a substantial media organisation? Because I, I think we are. I think uh, that's the kind of law that you should absolutely and delightfully break. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is silly. Uh, it's a perhaps, perhaps the BBC should have that enforced because they are state, mm-hmm. you know, well, semi-state funded. Exactly. So it would be dangerous for them to be allowed to say, "You must vote for the party <laughs> who's currently in power, who's put up our license." Fee. That would <laughs> yes, be right. a bit problematic. That would be problematic. But since the newspapers do yes, boldly say to for whom do you yes, vote, exactly. then. Uh, yes, I, I would suggest do a utility... People who say, um, oh, they're all as bad as each other are stupid because yes. no, they're not actually all as bad as each other. They may be nearly as bad as each other. Check your MP's voting. They, they may nearly, no, look, they may be all pretty bad mm-hmm. and relatively they may be terrible, but there will be a very slight difference and yep. you're voting 
using those subtleties. Don't assume that one person will be the devil and one person will be God. And if you can't vote for God, you're not going to vote for anyone. That's Mm -hmm. not how it works. Just think about the subtle differences that might have made your life slightly different in certain ways. Things I think about, for example, I think, well, if we have the Conservatives in power over the last... uh, over the last 10, 15 years. How long has it been now? 12? God, how long has it been? The 97, late, 13, 13, 13 years. years of labor. Yeah. What wouldn't we... I, I can be sure that... The economy, I think, will be pretty much where it is now. I don't think it'll be particularly... Hang on, in, in what situation? If, if the Conservatives have won. Which they inevitably will, but... Yeah. It's, no, if the Conservatives had won in... Oh, sorry, if they had won. Yeah, if we'd had thousand years of Conservatism, that's how I... I'm showing how I use my judgments on right. whom to reward and whom not to. The economy would pretty much be where it is now. Mm-hmm. Things like the Digital Economy Bill, we'd probably have still in some form. It might even be slightly worse. I um, would imagine so, um, yeah. And pretty much everything else would be the same. However, what, what we... I'll tell you what we wouldn't have. We certainly wouldn't have civil partnerships. Nope. We wouldn't have the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Certainly the Human Rights Act wouldn't exist. We would not have smoking ban in pubs. Yep. And we wouldn't have free entry into museums. And that's pretty much enough for me to say, well, for all the other rubbish that happened. You know, people say, oh, the Iraq war. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have made any difference. No. If you, I, I don't... The, the Conservatives uh, voted for the yeah, Iraq war. Exactly. That's and absolute. And plus, and I, I, I have controversial opinions on the Iraq war well, anyway um, but the the fact is that's enough for me to say well those are things that wouldn't have happened and what, I about, also the, what think, about the NHS where would that be now under 13 years of conservative I think the NHS would be pretty much where it is no really? no I think where it would be now is it, it, it wouldn't have had the money spent on it and I think yeah. it would be uh, for example the hospital that my daughter was born in wouldn't exist Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it would be. Do you not think it would be sections of their? No, yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But I mean, it wouldn't have, for example, uh, there, uh, she would have been born in a Victorian hellhole, which is what the hospital was before. Right. Um, and it was only through the massive investment that they got a new hospital that's renowned to be very good. So, Labour has done atrocious, ghastly, disappointing things, mm-hmm. and they've had the biggest crooks in their midst, like Mandelson, who's a terrible crook. However, um, taking into account the things that maybe they got done despite all these people... Yes. Um, ...is enough for me to... And if you look at the first six years yeah. of Blair's, Blair's term, Blair's uh, leadership, it was fantastic. It's enough, it's enough for me to have given them the benefit of the doubt. Now, the problem mm-hmm. is now, what, if we're being honest, we have a choice between the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. You know, whatever yes, your Lib Dem uh, fantasies are. No, 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 of course it's and if you have to win, win no. And if you have to choose between the two, I'm afraid however disgusted you are at Labour... Yeah. If you're disgusted at Labour for the reasons I think you're disgusted at Labour, then you should and would be more disgusted well, at exactly, Conservatives. Exactly. It's like saying, I want to vote for people who will do that which disgusts me even more disgustingly. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound logical to me, so make your choices carefully. And apologies to Martin, but I think within the first few months of the new administration you'll realise your terrible mistake. Yes, it will. Yes. Mm. We'll be very forgiving when you come back, like the uh, the prodigal son. Like Jesus. Yes, we should be much like Jesus to you, Martin. I hope this hasn't been too much information overload for everybody out there. It's been a very serious podcast. Good, I think we needed to after last week's silliness. Perhaps so. Okay. Excellent. Ta-ra, bye-bye people. Bye.